Welcome back, my orchids. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Fluid Thoughts. I'm your host, Fluid Flower. And I want to start things off today by announcing that yes, I am a fraud. (laughs) Because I completely promised to have content up on my Patreon page by March 31st. And child, I ain't even finished creating a damn link. I ain't finished setting up the profile page. I just ain't finished shit. So instead of giving myself like another big date deadline for me to to like hold myself to the standard of like, this is when it's going to be finished. This is when it's going to be done. I'm just going to get on here and let you all know because my anxiety is fucking terrible right now. The sheer fear of living in a pandemic, the panic of living through a pandemic has caused me to retreat into a tiny corner of my brain I like to call Deville's Anus, where I basically can only function at about 20%, meaning that I wake up, I work from home, I brush my teeth, take a shower, eat a few meals, and I go back to bed. So it's super, super hard to even function normally. My creativity will begin to build up, and I have all these ideas and these thoughts and emotions just like flowing through my head, and then... I feel like I need to accomplish them all at once. So my dream of becoming a screenwriter needs to happen tomorrow. Me becoming a CCO of my own production company needs to happen tomorrow. And so I put literally these unattainable goals, these, is unfeasible the word? Well, it's going to be a word today. It's my podcast. Unfeasible goals on myself. And if I don't stick to them or if I don't meet those goals in 20 minutes, I will literally have a full on mental breakdown. Y'all, this is why I'm in therapy. This is why I have a therapist. Cause she constantly has to remind me every week. She's like, now Effie, we talked about this. You can't fix your life in 20 minutes, girl. Now Effie, you can't get on here <laughs> and think that all this shit going to be fixed by tomorrow. You got to go through it. Yes. You're going to have negative thoughts. Yes. Shit's going to go down, but you can always reset and go back to the drawing board and there's nothing wrong with that. And I was like, damn, I still have to work a full eight hour workday. I'm trying to work out. I ain't trying to gain weight during this quarantine, but in my mind, oh, I need to lose weight tomorrow and I need to finish all of the job items that I need to do for my job in one day. And then uh, I need to make a million dollars by tomorrow. I don't know why I think that way. All I know is I need to calm my ass down, but here I am. Despite all of that, I am here in the studio, which is my guest bedroom, and I'm recording. So all of that to say, I apologize for not having the content out on Patreon, but when I do have it, I'm going to get on here, I'm going to let you know, and then we're going to go from there, and I'm going to make it worth your while. Let's start the show. In today's episode titled, God don't live at Shadrach, Meshach, a bad Negro mountain of fire, Holy Ghost, Ebenezer, Baptist church, dissecting religion. Religion is a tough topic for me because I'm still in the process of decolonizing myself from it. Decolonize? What the hell are you talking about, fluid? Religion played a huge role in my life in suppressing my individuality, 
making me have a lack of critical thinking and failing to understand the humanity of people. So let's break it down in a segment I like to call Fluid Thoughts on the Bullshit. I, like many black people, grew up Christian. Now my experience was a little bit different because my family went to a loud ass Nigerian miracle performing Christ apostolic church where one day shall never end. (laughs) Just like them long ass church services, bitch, we would be up at 7 a.m. and we would come home at 7 p.m. just being in church. Mind you, every Sunday we would drive from North Houston all the way to Missouri City. And then after the church service, we would drive to somebody's house who lived in Missouri City. And we have like fellowship and we'll have like a second church service and a night vigil. And this is all before Monday morning when we all got to get up at 5 a.m. to start our week. So needless to say, as a child, I was tired of church already. The process of just getting ready and going was already a lot. What I remember most from being in that environment is fear. The don't do this or God will punish you. They insert some random scripture to back that up from the Old Testament. It's always from the Old Testament of a bunch of people dying because they didn't listen to God or because they follow the devil. I feared God because I was afraid of what God would do to me if I disobeyed him. And I feared the devil because he was the fucking devil. And it didn't help that in Nigerian church culture, it inadvertently glorifies the evil walk of witches and wizards that was sent by the enemy to destroy your life. Y'all, I'm finna be going in and out this accent, this whole show, (laughs) so just bear with me. But what was also so interesting is that any type of self-expression that was not in line with what was deemed holy or of God, there was always an elder to stop you, to put you in check, to remind you, don't cut your hair. Woman's hair is her crown and her glory. It's in the Bible. Don't wear pants. Yeah, woman, it's in the Bible. God doesn't like gay or lesbian. It's in the Bible. Women cannot talk in the house of God. It's in the Bible. Bitch, I couldn't do shit because all the other stuff I liked to do wasn't in the Bible or it was in the Bible and God strictly forbade it, forbade it, forbidden. It was forbidden by the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, (laughs) I couldn't do shit, but go to school and read my motherfucking Bible. It was like, it was almost like living in a religious police state and the Bible served as my freedom papers. I mean, I'm not going to sit up here in front like like I didn't have fun as like a kid, but you could only do so much. I remember having a conversation with my little sister. Shout out to her crazy ass because she's always asking to be on the show. This for you, Mega. No, you can't be on the show. <laughs> um, but we were having a conversation uh, a few years ago. We were just like reminiscing about our childhood. And she goes, you were so boring. You never did anything fun. You always behaved. And I'm like, yeah. Because I was very, very, very much so afraid of what God would do to me if I disobeyed him. I was also very afraid of getting my ass whooped. And in Nigerian communities, anybody can whoop your ass. If they're older than you, even if it's your older sibling that's one minute older than you, y'all twins, it could be one minute older than you, they could beat your ass. And I was afraid of that. So you you had this structure of people who were already, who were set up to keep you in line if you follow, if you, if you did not follow the ways of what they deemed as good. And you know, now that I'm, I'm thinking about this out loud, I'm realizing how I developed the habit of like 
creating unrealistic expectations on myself to highly perform based on the standard set for me by authority figures or else I would suffer and not receive the reward I wanted. Wow. That self-realization hits like a train wreck. (laughs) And I say all this to paint the picture of how much I lacked individuality. I was literally a prisoner in my own thoughts. Don't think this or else God will do this. Respect your elders or God will punish you. Eat your vegetables or you'll go to hell. Okay, now I'm being facetious about the vegetables. But I, I definitely damn sure made to eat my vegetables. But my mind was a constant, constant battlefield. I was caught in between rejecting the very nature of who I was for what religion said I should be. And I couldn't separate the two. So it ate me alive. I had to be in line with what God said. Somebody could disrespect me. They could hit me. They could hurt me. They could do whatever they wanted to me. And I was like, no, I'm going to just turn the other cheek. Oh, no, I'm not going to tell them how I really feel. I'm just going to do what God said I should do. I avoided confrontation. And I wish, I wish there was somebody to just reach back and be like, hey, girl, like you can use your religion as a tool to 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 manifest peace in your life but don't be a doormat don't let people walk all over you I let go of self so much so that I didn't even know who I was anymore I think religion for me was also a way of me lacking critical thinking I believed that a lack of logic was akin to trusting God By the time I was 17, I had recommitted my life to the Lord. I attended a small hole-in-the-wall Assemblies of God church. Now, mind you, I've been going to African, apostolic, Nigerian churches my whole entire life. And and, in Black American Baptist churches and also Catholic churches. I've been to every kind of church. (laughs) But to go to a Assemblies of God, that was like my first introduction to seeing like people speak in tongues and like well rather seeing white people speak in tongues and like uh perform miracles and they did everything short of holding two rattlesticks together talking about they got the power of god i mean these people were like they were true true believers so this church again i'm not gonna name it because it was it was a very small hole in the wall um but i remember going to bible study with my youth pastor at the time and the topic of discussion for that bible study was life and evolution and according to them theory of evolution was purely a hoax for people to not believe in adam and eve because we have more in common with the banana than a chimpanzee now y'all i studied biology briefly in college but a lot in high school and i ain't never read no shit about us being related to a banana at this point people are just making up their own stuff and supporting it with false truths because they just don't want to believe in the theory of evolution but I was one of those people. Not only did I believe that at the time, I also spread it. And what was even crazier was that I was in biology AP making straight A's. And I was actually on track to do very well for the AP exam. So it was like I had a separate brain function for church and then one for school. Because to me, learning all this stuff in biology, it didn't register as logic when it came to being under the umbrella of Christ. It was like, oh, well, this is just what the world wants me to know. But the real, the real deal is winning souls for Christ. The real deal is going to church. The real deal is going to Bible study and having a relationship with God, which having a relationship with God isn't bad. I'm simply just talking about the system of religion. You can have a relationship with whatever entity, at least I know that now, whatever entity you choose to believe in. 
But the system of religion, bro, that shit had me wilding back in the day. I remember there were times that I would be confronted with actual facts and data about a certain topic. And I would be like, just leave it to God. We can't trust humans because humans are flawed and humans lie. And, you know, we just really need to trust in God. For me, logic and spirituality could not exist in the same plane. Mind you, I would say that we need to leave it to God and we can't trust human beings because humans are flawed. But God created those same human beings who just happened to study the subject. But because it wasn't directly coming from the Bible, I just chose not to believe it. It was like I had no semblance of logic and I was afraid to even consider let alone hear anything that didn't strictly come out of the Bible. It was ridiculous. Well, it's also so interesting. You don't get there by yourself. You don't, you don't come to these conclusions by yourself. You are immersed in an ocean of people who believe the exact same things with all the might and power of their hearts. When you have that conviction of God or when you think you have that conviction of God, can't nobody tell you nothing. I remember one day my youth pastor, I asked her, it was in my prime, my heyday. And I asked her, I said, what happened to all the people who lived and died before there was a savior? Like there were different religions before Christianity. So did God create those people just so they could die and go to hell? Even if they didn't have the knowledge of Jesus to accept him as their Lord and savior. Y'all, this woman flat out told me, yes. Mind you, this is the same woman who told me that Beyonce, Lady Gaga and Rihanna had all sold their souls to the devil to be famous and that's why I shouldn't listen to them because they all perform witchcraft child when I asked her for the evidence and proof because she was not gonna come from my faves she said she could just tell by their music this is what I'm talking about no logic no answers it's just a feeling just based on what you feel and it's based on what you feel based on what other people have taught you based on a man-based Man created doctrine of what people have taught you. And if you go outside the boundaries of that, oh, now it's evil talk. Now it's, it's you worship the devil. Now it's this. And, I, and I'll tell you, that's why I say it's a very hard topic for me to talk about because not everybody has this experience when it comes to religion. Not everybody has this experience about when it comes to church and churches. But I did. I'm just telling y'all my personal experience. And so I'm just sharing this with y'all. Today, I believe that you can still be spiritual and still have your logic. I was a person who believed that I shouldn't listen to experts on subject matter, that I should just listen to God. But God created those same experts. So what causes you to think that you should not listen to people who have studied this, who have knowledge of this? At some point, you have to say something is not right. Another thing that tripped me up with religion. One, I was a really, really shitty and judgmental asshole who failed to understand the humanity of people. I'll preface what I'm about to say, what I'm about to discuss with. I'm not proud of my behavior, how I responded, how I brutally passed judgment on people. I'm not proud of that shit. But you have to understand, indoctrination will do that to you. You will feel so high and mighty that when you come across a human being that doesn't necessarily believe the things that you would believe, or who or, or a human being who is not socialized into the same religion as you, all of a sudden you feel compelled to tell them about themselves and to tell them how they're not going to heaven. At least I did. 
you feel the need to judge them like, well, you know, this person is X, Y, and Z, so it doesn't even matter. That was me. I felt that high and mighty. I think for, for me, my indoctrination took a, a turn for the worse when two of my friends came out to me. I realized that I was actually the last friend that they told because I was like severely homophobic. And mind you, this was a relatively new personality trait that I learned once I gotten into high school. Um, and I definitely picked that up from the church that I mentioned earlier, the church that I went to. Because I remember that pastor having full-on sermons about how gay people were ruining the country and that that's why he's going to vote for president that didn't support gay marriage. This was back when Obama was running in 2008. And so, mind you, this is the same pastor who was rumored to have been gay himself. And so when my friends finally told me, I was like really pissed at them. I was like, why didn't y'all tell me you were gay? Like, that's such a, that's such like a huge part in like your life. Like I wanted to experience that and be a part of it to, to support you. And then they looked at me, they said, well, if you, you kind of hate gay people. And that was the first time I was confronted about my views based in religion and how it affected other people. And guess what my immediate response was? Well, I don't hate gay people. I just don't respect their lifestyle choices. Y'all, I was a fucking mess. Bitch, then you don't respect them as people. And and even as I'm talking about this, I'm literally getting angry at my former self because I was such, I was I was full of shit. That's why these neo-homophobes in today's age, you can't say shit to me that I ain't already heard because I used to be the exact same way. I became so so fueled by outdated and misinterpreted Bible passages that I would use them to tell people the worst thing about themselves. I would be the person who walked down the hallway and I would give out unsolicited wrong advice. Oh, well, you shouldn't do that because in Thessalonians 2.16, the Bible says <laughs> that was literally me. I was that girl. I remember there was this one chick who got pregnant as a freshman. I was, I think I was a junior. She was a freshman. Um, and she got pregnant from some guy who ended up dropping her. And then he like skipped town. He like went back to Mexico. It was like a huge thing. Went back to Mexico. Um, and left her with this baby. He had, he was still coming back to the school every now and then. And then I remember both of us sitting in math class and she was like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what's going on. And I looked at her and I said, oh, well, you need to marry him because God wouldn't accept the child out of wedlock. And then y'all not going to get into heaven. Y'all. I was a fucking mess. This boy literally used her for sex. And I was employing her at 15 and 16 years old to go get married because God wouldn't. Because that's what God would want. And that's what's best for the baby. And for me. As I think about all this, looking back, I think the scariest thing is that people allowed me to tell them these things because I was still very pleasant to be around. And in most cases, in most cases, everybody just accepted that I had these strong Christian values because we all grew up in a pseudo Christian environment, if that makes sense. People will let me say this stuff to them because they thought that, oh, this is the right thing. This is the right thing to say. And finally, somebody is saying it. People just accepted my behavior because they were just as screwed up as I was. I think I was just the only one who was dumb enough to voice <laughs> these opinions out loud. I think, I think I became even more out of pocket when I started going on mission trips. Those mission trips legitimized me as a Christian. 
Because, honey, I paid top dollar to go colonize foreign countries and tell them that their gods were false and mine was the only one who could set them free, not realizing that most of these countries had been destabilized by the American government in some way or form by mercenaries or paramilitary groups for the natural resources that their tribes and indigenous people sat upon. (laughs) I didn't know what I was a part of. I really didn't know. I really thought I was out here doing the Lord's work. So I go on my first missions trip and I get into this argument with a kid who identified as Buddhist um, at my school. We're in my humanities class and we're arguing about the death penalty. And I was so upset, not because of, of him being right, but it was the fact that he didn't shut up when I was talking to him because I felt that I, as Ephemene Monafe, acted on the authority of God so that when I spoke about the Bible, everybody else needed to be quiet. He wasn't yelling at me. He wasn't angry with me. He was just calmly and very plainly speaking his viewpoint and not agreeing with me. But he continued on. And then someone in the class was like, ooh, if a man, he got you on hush mouth. And I said, it's not like he's going to heaven anyway. So what's the point of arguing about life and death with him? God said we should pray for our leaders. And at the end of the day, God has the final say. The whole atmosphere in the, ch- in the church, the whole atmosphere in the classroom changed. Like, bitch, why would you bring that into an argument? But again, because everybody else was so well-trained, In their obedience to religious doctrine, nobody said shit to me. Nobody checked me, even though I was being a complete asshole. Those are just a few ways that religion impacted my life. How did I change? I think, number one, before I start talking about how do we change, how did I change? So we're going to discuss that in this segment that I call Fluids Resolve. And this is just the part of the show where I just give pointers for things that I do that helped me make the necessary changes I needed to make to be a better person. So I think that there's always a turning point in someone's life where you're on the path to change and you have to decide if you want to change. And so I think the part that helped me in my journey was uh, receiving a liberal arts education. I began to question everything. Nothing was true until it was backed with facts and research. I started to understand politics and how um, the decisions made by Congress or your state legislature had more impact on my life than the winches and the wizards <laughs> that my pastors and my mother and father told me to pray against my whole life. And so basically just coming to this understanding that outside factors from the spiritual realm have less of an impact on my life than the man or woman who sits on city council. I really just started to understand the environment that I was surrounded in in understanding that the Bible was a tool. It's, it's instructions. It's an instruction set, a general guideline and not the end all be all. I also took a second humanities class in college where I learned about the other religions of the world. And we learned about the timeline about these religions. So I'm just like, how is it that all of a sudden that Christianity is here, that it can, it can say that all the other religions don't matter. And I was like, that, that just, that don't sit right with me. I just felt like God would not create his people because we're all his people. God would not just create these people to follow these different religions and then just destroy them 
when push comes to shove. I was just like, yeah, I just think there's more to it than just than just the Bible. I think there's more to life than than just the Bible. I said, okay, I'm going to continue to read, brush up on my history, understand political power structures, look at power dynamics in society, and I'm this change is not going to be easy, but I'm going to stick to it. And it was hard because you experience this thing, what a lot of people call cognitive dissonance. Your core truth is just shattered. And so I literally remember reading these books and feeling like this shaky feeling and from my, my heart to my stomach and, and feeling like, oh my God, I'm afraid. Like I was afraid to literally have knowledge. Because why? Because growing up in church, my whole life, it was frowned upon to have knowledge outside of that Bible. But I was like, hey, I'm on this journey now and I can't stop. And my thirst for knowledge can't be quenched by reading Psalms or Proverbs or Thessalonians or Revelations. I need to read what's in this book right here in front of me. I need to know how this works. I need to know for myself. I basically want to live out my purpose without the, um, the overbearing hand of religion. I couldn't do that if I just allowed something to control me. So at some point I just said, you know what? I need to start doing me and do me in a way that does not cause harm to other people. So with all of those resolves, we are going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back after this message. This episode of Fluid Thoughts is brought to you by my own personally curated website, fluidflowermedia.com. On fluidflowermedia.com, that's where I upload the podcast first and you'll get extra insight on show topics and carefully crafted blog posts. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at fluidflower and on Instagram at simply underscore Effie. And if you like what you hear, please remember to like, share, and subscribe. Fluid Thoughts is now available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Be sure to tell a friend or 50. (laughs) Now let's get back to the show. And we're back. Well, I'm back because it's just me. But this is the portion of the show um, where I read to you all a creative nonfiction piece that I wrote based on the topic of what we are discussing. I just, you know, initially thought that this podcast would be just like a fun little way for me to have creative expression and to showcase my writing. So without further ado, I have a piece written called Heaven Sent, Hell Bent written by yours truly. I hope you enjoy. I'm not sure where to begin about the whole religion thing. Mind you, this is coming from a Nigerian American who was born and raised in both African apostolic and Southern Baptist churches her entire life and is also a former missionary. Church was my life growing up. I remember hearing prayers like, Jesus Christ will burn our enemies with Holy Ghost fire. You will cast out Satan and his cohorts back to the pits of hell. Your enemy will burn hellfire. All the witches and wizards that are pursuing you in the dream, God will kill them in their sleep. (laughs) These were the usual prayers I heard every Sunday service and Tuesday night Bible study and Wednesday night women's group and Friday night prayer vigil. We were at church all the time. 
there was an obsessive and compulsive need to go to church, to be seen by the other congregants as committed and faithful. After all, it was my stepfather's church paid for by my mother's paychecks, since he kept all the tithe and offering to himself. When I was around age 12, I asked my mother why we went to church so often. She replied to me and said, When you are obedient to God, he will bless you. When you follow God's ways, he will protect you. We must show God that we are devoted to him so we can go to heaven. She truly believed that her faith in the system of religion would break her out of cyclical poverty, suicide attempts, and an abusive marriage. I should have known she was full of shit right then and there because my devotion and faithfulness to God did not stop my stepfather from beating my sisters and sexually assaulting me for a number of years. The very things I asked God to protect me from continue to happen. Even as I recall from my memory to write the story, I don't actually remember praying for God to save me from my stepfather. My obedience to church was so heavy, I felt like asking for that or telling someone what was happening to me would be too much trouble. The church would be ruined. Best to stay quiet and try to avoid him, I thought to myself. But still, I kept my faith. I pressed on, believing that if I had done everything right, I would be protected, even though everything inside me knew I wouldn't be. I obeyed. I was in a constant state of trying to be seen as a good, God-fearing Christian who prayed and kept watch for lurking evil and temptation while I screamed for help on the inside. My mother finally divorced him a few years later, and we continued on with churches. But this time, they were black American Baptist churches. They were mostly the same. Long services, lots of shouting and dancing, and the pews filled with hypocrites. The only difference was that the people didn't have thick Nigerian accents. Through the years, I felt my relationship with God deepen, or rather, I learned to be comfortable with the facade of Christianity. I stopped cursing, I prayed every day, and I was even in the Christian club at school. I changed my denomination to non-denominational. I went on mission trips thinking that I was on fire for God, but that fire came at a price. I used the most loving, sweet, and gentle ways to remind fellow students that they were going to hell because they were Muslim, or gay, or atheist. The burden of the gospel was on my heart and I felt compelled to share it with every person because I was winning souls for Christ. I never considered their religion, their denomination, or their background. My truth superseded it all because I had the conviction of God and heaven on my side. I was righteous and they were not. I was holy, set apart, and they were worldly. I never once stopped to consider them God's own children unless they followed me to a church service and gave their lives to Christ. I felt powerful sending all those lost souls to the altar as they cried and wept for their eternal soul, not realizing that they were trapped in a desolate space that was overrun by unseen systemic powers and principalities that governed our everyday lives. When I entered college, my perspective began to change slowly, but ever so shortly. I took women's studies and African-American history courses and I started to question everything about religion, social class, and even sexuality, especially as it pertained to Africans in the continent and the diaspora. I still felt obliged to go to church, sing in the choir, and talk about Jesus. And then, Mike Brown was brutally slain by a murderer in uniform. My world was shaken. Black students all over Nashville protested in a booming uproar. And no matter what church we went to, 
or what elder that we spoke with, they all preached the same thing. 100% total compliance with the law and those who enforce it. We were told to pray for our leaders and trust in the system and to trust and wait on God, that God will eventually deliver our justice, be it on earth or in heaven. I came to the conclusion I'd rather justice be served on earth instead of the ethereal plane I've yet to know. Day by day, the luster and shine of church became the shadow of gilded rocks that people often mistook for gold. I was tired of the same procedural element of black person get shot and or killed by the police and then the people protest and pastors ask us to stay calm and then nothing happened. Nothing was ever done or said about the structural elements as to why and how it kept happening. Indoctrination had really done a number on me as I continued with my mustard seed of faith thinking that maybe things would get better. Maybe all I had to do was pray and watch God take over the system. The last time I ever attended church was shortly after graduating college. I went to a service with my mother and older sister. I stayed seated during the songs. They just didn't excite me anymore, not like they used to. My mother was standing next to me shouting and praying and singing with all her might. The congregation was invited to greet each other and then, of course, to give tithe and offering. Then the sermon began. The pastor came out and resumed their Ephesian series. An account of scriptures written by the Apostle Paul to the people of the city of Ephesus. My lack of interest overwhelmed me until I heard him say these words. Ephesus was a city that was filled with racial tension and division, much like our country today. If you were to see the back of someone's donkey, you'd see the bumper sticker say hashtag Egyptian lives matter or hashtag Gentile lives matter. A record scratch echoed in my heart. Did this white man, who was born with the privilege of being seen as normal, born with the privilege of never experiencing racial discrimination, just use obsolete Bible passages to hashtag all lives matter his message? Yes. Yes, he did. His message was simple and quite effective. We're all important, or rather, we all matter under the banner and unification of Christ. My blood began to boil and my brain started to itch. Oh, how I would love to believe that the answer to racial tension and division is simply just treating people with respect under the banner of Christ. But to preach that the answer to the systemic genocide of black people is simply kindness and love was not only incorrect, but immoral. I was slapped in the face with internal confirmations as to why I stopped going to church after all this time. I wanted to get up and leave, but out of respect for my mother... I stayed and listened to his white confusion. I folded my arms and slumped back into my chair. My older sister gently tapped me and asked if I was okay. He's wrong about everything, you know, I said firmly. I watched her eyes widen and her chest puff up as she listened to my critical words ring in our pew. She motioned for me to speak softer so others wouldn't hear me. I conceded and kept my mouth shut because what was I going to do in that moment? Shout into the amphitheater that he was a privileged white asshole that knew nothing of what he spoke? I sure wish I had, but again, my mother constantly quoted Exodus 20.12. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy giveth thee. She would also tell me that anyone who disrespects their parents will be cursed, and their children will be cursed to do the same things to them. Needless to say, both my mother and the Bible had me well trained not to challenge authority even when they were wrong. He continued to preach about kindness and love for all God's children and how political affiliation didn't matter in the eyes of God and that such matters, like the state-sponsored killing of black people by a militarized police force, 
should not be discussed, but simply just given to God. There has been a long history and present day example of the church and the body of believers using the guise of Christ that allows it to actively and passively participate in racism. I felt like I was watching the discarded baby of Kenneth Copeland and Joel Osteen preach prosperity and blessings while telling us that the country's race issue would be solved if we kept quiet and paid our tithes while they continued to not pay taxes. It was perfectly okay for him to beg for tithe and offering with the alluring promises of financial freedom and insurmountable wealth from the marginalized people that made up over half of the congregation. But the moment light was shed on the oppression and slaughter of those same people, it's being divisive? Service ended and I couldn't get out of there fast enough. The confirmation of what I already knew shouted even louder in my heart. Religion is a tool of social control and promoted a lack of critical thinking. In the midst of all of that, I still felt lost without it, to be quite honest. What was I to do with the years of conditioning that narrowed my thinking to accept this doctrine as universal truth? And in that moment, I did something braver than shout from a pew at a man who was playing the role he was systemically designed to play. I decided to search for my own truth. A truth that included a way out for anyone who so desired. A truth that described the pain of human beings in a multifaceted way and offered solutions without causing harm to each other or the planet. There is no doubt in my mind that all religions, even Christianity, contain truth. But our socialization of one religion doesn't make the one we know and understand any more glorious than another. And it most certainly does not invalidate anyone else's. This truth is now a way of life for me. We are all searching for a way to worship and give back to the universe. I believe now, more than ever, that the idea of God is pure intuition. It's the voice of our very own individuality. And the more I thought for myself outside of religious indoctrination, the clearer I heard my own voice. Thank you so much, Orchids, for tuning in with another episode of Fluid Thoughts. I'm your host, Fluid Flower, and I hope to see you again very, very soon. Until then, stay safe and always release your inner flower.